I'm Caleb, and this is the Air of Grievances podcast. today. I recently spent some time sitting down and chatting with my new friends and uh, quickly close friends. I would, I would definitely consider them to be close friends of mine now. Uh, Angela and Joshua Bow. And this is, uh, yeah, it's a good interview. Um, the hardest questions I think that I've been asked recently have come from from Joshua and, and Angela. Um, but Joshua's always asking me things like, what is your question? Or what are you looking for? And I've, I still don't know how to answer those questions. I still am wrestling with how to even approach trying to figure out how to answer those questions. But um, I think these two know what they're about and what they're looking for and what their questions are and and maybe have answers to those personal questions. Um, I look up to both of them a whole, whole lot. Uh, they're... I know I've said this about previous guests, but they're just such Christ-like people and they happen to be atheists. And they're working on a new podcast uh, that I am hoping to edit and produce with them called Two Atheists Go to Church. And so this first part of the interview is us talking about that podcast and the pretense for that podcast and just kind of uh, why they decided to do it and, and where they're coming from with it. And uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a great interview. I'm, I'm going to have to split this one up in multiple parts just because it lasted quite a while and I think that there's still a lot of turf that we haven't treaded on and, and we'll probably do even another part to this series of interviews. So, without further delay, here is the first part of my interview with Angela and Joshua Bow. Buckle up! Here we go, baby. All right. I'm here in Angela and Josh's house speaking with Josh and Angela. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> They're two atheists, and they go to church. So, uh, how do you guys come up with the concept of your, of your new podcast, Two Atheists Go to Church? I think the first impetus came of, like, churches are trying to draw people like us to come in to them, and we were kind of like, what would make us go to church, first of all? Mm. And then, two, why are all these other people going to church? Like, are we missing out on something? Like, that's what I thought, because... So in our context in the Twin Cities, there's a church called Eagle Brook, right. and there are seven campuses, I believe? Six or seven, yeah. And, like, 53,000 people go there. Um, so we were like, wow. that's a large city. Yeah. Uh, well, mean-sized city or small city, but still. Um, we were like, why do people keep going back? And th- I think that was kind of, like, what's so enticing or appealing about this church that all these people go here and spend so much time and money and effort doing this and uh, so we just started going we made a list of the churches that we wanted to go to and we've been doing it every other week mm-hmm. basically going to a church 
We go in. We try to be as respectful as possible, so we don't like dress. It's definitely not. Uh, I'm an atheist. I'm going in with my middle finger up. Right at the church. I mean, both of us, both Joshua and I, have an evangelical background, and um, so we know we, the we've kind of yeah. And um, you speak the lingo. We speak the lingo. We speak Christianese very well. Yeah, and um, we both. <laughs> um, like I don't. We're not there to a, mock anyone. Yeah, I'm, we're not there to mock anyone. anyone. We're not bad. there to be like, look at these sheeple or whatever. Um, it's really interesting to me, though, um, having had a history of you know religiously going to church and then going through the very very hard process of losing your faith and then going back to mm. something that was so comfortable before, but now looking at it. In like a completely um, like non-biased perspective, like before, if I was you know really evangelical, I would go to a church and I'd be like, "Well, it's already going to be amazing because we're <laughs> praising Jesus and it's going to be so great." And um, like you said, you know, these churches like we're the type of people that they want to get in the door. Yeah. So I think. Going in with this really uh, kind of non-bias and really like, okay, I'm going in with a total clean slate. I'm going to see what this has to offer. I'm going to see like how welcoming the atmosphere is. I'm going to see, you know, kind of all these really objective things instead of just going in and being like, I'm going to get filled spiritually. Like. Yeah. Um, kind of looking at church in a more objective way. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, the structure, um, the the methods, the so the music, the you know, all those things we, we look and at. And how so, welcoming they are to people who are non-believers. Because I mean, a main something we've seen over and over in the churches are like, you know, we're the cool church, and your friends who aren't Christians, they're going to be like. What churches like this? <laughs> and I think these people still believe that church is a little old lady at an organ, like you know, the B I B L E, like, and yeah, I, I I mean, it's so ludicrous that people would still think there are still the old lady organ churches. Nothing I wrong mean, with them. Nothing wrong God, with them. God They're out there. God nothing them. wrong with them. But God love them. <laughs> with these like more, um, like cosmopolitan city churches, contemporary, contemporary, like really trying to appeal to a younger generation. And we're not super young. We're like mid thirties, but dirty still 30s. a dirty thirty. Sixties and new forty. Uh, <laughs> um. I feel like we're the demographic that they would be looking for mm. to be like, no, guys, our church is cool, and it is totally Re- cool well, to be a Christian. Relevant. You guys have tattoos. So relevant, <laughs> yeah. You're on their radar. So right. Sort of like everybody there. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's been really interesting seeing, especially with Eagle Brook, like the the one that has the most people attending, I felt was the most disconnected. Right. Which there, is there wasn't such, a physical pastor there. It's such a mind fuck. Like people going in, we described it 
as like a fast food church. Like you get it like basically you barely get out of your car. Like you're like go into this church, people play music at you. I barely saw anyone singing. The pastor is on a screen. On a screen, right. And then the moment he's done talking, everyone Evacuate. gets it's like someone yelled fire. Like, yeah. like, like someone pulled the fire alarm. Everyone was just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, this is so <laughs> impersonal. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. So impersonal. So, like, not this loving community. And I mean, I'm sure they have small groups. Oh, I mean, I know they have small groups. But still, just like the general. I mean, if I'm a new believer or an old believer. <laughs> And I'm going to this church. The first impression of like, is this a welcoming place or not? Uh-huh. It was so like sterile, and mm. you sit and you have church happen to you. To you, you it happens to you, you, and then you leave. Yeah. And I'm like, what on earth? So, we just took a brief recess to witness the glory of our Father, God, and all of his testosterone in the, in the uh, apparition of a storm, and now we're back talking nice. about atheism in churches. <laughs> <laughs> so, Angela, back to you. <laughs> oh, um, I think my thought was pretty much done. I, I just think it's weird that... One of the churches that has, uh, like, the most members is the most disconnected, which I think mm. is bizarre, mm. looking at it as kind of an outsider. Like, you know, I checked going to church off my list on Sunday. <laughs> it's what I do as an American suburban person. I go to church, and, I mean... I don't know. It just seemed very like no community at all. Mm. Just yeah, you sit in a chair, church happens to you, and then you get the fuck out yeah. when it's done. <laughs> and it was very bizarre that that was one of the most popular churches in the cities. I was like, isn't that kind of the exact opposite of what you go to a church for? Right. I mean, the one like the main thing I miss about going to church is the community. Mm. Well, yeah, it's, I think the reason yeah. the reason we don't go to church often is because it seems disingenuous to us, um, and we don't mean that in any sort of mean spirited sort of way. You it always just, use the term unserious. Yeah, it it seems like these places are supposed to be places where people take their faith seriously and where they go to learn and grow and become better people. But it just seems like these, a lot of the churches we go to, it's just something you do because it's Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you watch the Vikings game because it's on. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody else is going to watch and everyone else is going to talk about it. So you go there and do your thing. And it wasn't even an hour. One of these churches, we don't need to be specific about shitting on a particular church. Um, but we don't, we haven't seen a lot of interesting things. We did this last Sunday go to Revolution Church in Minneapolis at Bryant Lake Bowl, and I think I saw one of the most courageous things I've ever seen a pastor do. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Jay Baker. Um, Hi, Jay. You, so 
we were there. There weren't a lot of people there. Most of Jay's uh, congregants are online folks. They're yeah. not people who come to the physical place. And it's it's held at a at a, at a bar slash bowling alley slash theater, and it's in the theater part. And it's very you know cool atmosphere, cool vibe. It's just Jay up there on the stage, uh, very casual. And he gave about three minutes of yeah. the sermon, and then just said, "Hey, can we stop recording?" And just looked at us all and said, "Hey, um, I know you all, and I'm just I'm just not feeling it today." I'm just not, you know, I, I changed some things, and I just don't, I feel, what did he say? He said he felt very um, hazy. Yeah, And hazy. Um, then he just said, can we just talk and just that, hang out? That was great. Like, that was the, that was the church we've been to so far where, like, I'd actually come back here for, like, for church, even though mm-hmm. I'm not a believer. Right. Like, I'd still come back here for the community, and I think that's what a lot of the other churches we go to don't do like people always talk about Rob Bell and how there was an Easter service where he was an atheist like he didn't believe in God that day and he was supposed to give a sermon and they're like well what'd you do and he's like well I gave the sermon and that just seems the opposite of an authentic faith to be like well mm. I don't I, I feel like an atheist right now but I'm gonna pretend that I'm a Christian right. and pretend that everything's okay and pretend that I am feeling it and go do it. And that just seems like a trap to me. And I bet Rob felt trapped. Like, there's, you know, I'm not saying he's a bad person or anything, but he probably is from the tradition where, well, everyone's here, so we have to do it. Right. And so for Jay to say, yeah, it's just not. You know, most churches, I and mean, maybe even in some churches, I bet people would be fired for that. Right. Oh, yeah. You know? or, at mm-hmm. least, or at least be like, well, he must not be walking closely with the Lord right now. Right. Or, like, obviously he doesn't know Jesus the way I know Jesus, because Jesus would give me the strength to do that. Right. And for him to just be authentic and real and say, I, yeah, can we not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> was was so refreshing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know a lot of places that you could go where that would happen. I mean, yeah, people get sick and pastors don't give sermons, but they always have a backup plan. They don't just say, well, we're just not going to do it. You know, because it, it, like, it wasn't disappointing. It was actually encouraging. I would <laughs> yeah. say to be like, there's someone with enough integrity to say, "Hey, I am not in the right headspace and the right condition to talk about what I want to talk about effectively." So I'm just not going to. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, um, I mean, if I would have seen a pastor do that when I was an evangelical, like. Everyone would have been gossiping, and everyone would have been Everyone would have been gossiping, but I mean, on the inside, I was wrestling with stuff, like, and if I would have seen someone in power make that stand and be like, yeah, it's okay, to some days you're just not, (laughs) it's just not what, what you're about today. And I think that has a lot to do with American culture. I mean, I would have been more so, like... Wow, I really need to go to this church because the pastor is. I can really relate to yeah, it. Being real. Yeah, yeah because there were Sundays I went to church and I totally wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if the pastor would have said something like that, I would have been like, "Wow, I'm not. I'm. I'm not the shitty Christian I think I am." <laughs> like, yeah. all my other friends are worshiping and having this experience, and I'm sitting here like bummed about a breakup or my friend's pissing me off or you know or I'm just having a really hard just a really hard mental health week like and all this rah rah Jesus 
if you believe in him, you'll have the best life ever. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you have mental health issues, like I do, I, I mean, sometimes that just doesn't make sense, and it just seems ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. I just look at it like, like eating cookies for breakfast. (laughs) Like it tastes great at the time, but then when you get home, you have a stomach ache because you're like, that's not, that's not what I feel at all, and. I just listened to this guy talk about how amazing, I mean, if you give your life over to Jesus, it's amazing, and, you know, even the bad days are the best days, and I don't know. And just coming home and having, like, that that gut rot, like, I should have gotten more out of that, but I just wasn't in the space to do it. Then it made me feel shitty. Right, right. Like... Yeah. I don't know. I've been to at least hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons and taken notes. I have hundreds of pages of notes from churches that I went to, like sermon notes and stuff. And I don't really remember any of them. And yet, I mean, this is you know, through college, through high school. Like, if you ask me how many times I can remember a pastor saying something or doing something and being able to talk about it, it's very rare. Um, and that, I think, just goes to we're not expected to get better when you go to church. You're expected to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, like it shows. You're the expected va- to fill a chair. Yeah, it shows right. the vacuousness of like spirituality in America. Of like, we all go to these places on Sunday, and we're supposed to listen to the sermon and get something out of it that's supposed to help us be better humans. And instead, we just pr- pretend, I guess, and just do what we want anyway. Right. You know, a lot of folks just—that's what they do. They mm-hmm. just. They're going to do their life the way they want to do it, and then they just add Christian onto that title. But their lifestyle, I'm not saying like they drink too much or they smoke too much or they're addicted to something or, you know, they're, you know, total pricks. It's just they just add Christianity onto their life, and they're like, yeah, I know Jesus would probably want me to serve the poor, but I'm a wealthy banker, so fuck it, you know? And it's just that disconnect. I'd rather have my country club membership than my. Well, that disconnect is golfing buddies. The disconnect is 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 like deafening, and I think that's part of the impetus of going to these churches and doing this. I just I don't know. Maybe research. It's pseudo research. Like I did a lot of research in grad school. It's not the same, but we're just trying to have an objective view about what's going on. And some churches they'll have music before, but they won't call it worship. They'll say we have special music. Right. Um, And other places call it worship. And in most of the places we've been, it's exactly the same. Um, same contemporary songs, same songs that pull your heartstrings and lots of amazing graces. But, but some of them are very much this new. I mean, it's not just people up there playing a guitar and singing. It's like this multi-dimensional lights flashing, a PowerPoint going on in the background. People are jumping around and doing like I call it the hill song effect because. <laughs> This and like Hillsong just came to Minneapolis and they had this free concert and people were talking about it and it's like it's worship but it's so obvious that they're the focal point like they're really good looking young people like I'm sure there's a you know 
a certain way you have to look to be into Hillsong. I mean, they won't specifically say that, but mm, right. come it's on. Like, it's like hiring people and, as models who work. Yeah, and, and then they're up. jumping around <laughs> like... And the lyrics are just so like, I am free. <laughs> I am free. Like, And it's so much more about the people singing the worship and the experience you're getting, like, going back to that idea of having church happen at you instead of being an active participant, like, I think that speaks volumes, and it's been kind of, I mean, not kind of, it's been very confirmed from what we've been doing as two atheists go to church that this very passive... Like, I'm going to this, basically, like, a rock concert on Sunday morning, and then I'm going to have a guy go up there and tell me, You can do it! Yes! Mm -hmm. Jesus is with you! Like, go into the week and make it happen! Like, you know? Um, And then you're like, great! I feel great! And you're, you know, walking out of church. But, I mean, it doesn't... Like you said, it's so unserious. Like and, and I'm just gonna watch this, watch this, and then the guy's gonna tell me that, you know, as a person who's here, I've made the right decision by accepting Christ. So good on me. And then okay, yeah, he's made some interesting points. All right, burp, 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 burp. you know, and I'll go home to my neighborhood, and then I'll bitch about my neighbor and. You know, I'll watch my whatever baseball on TV, and, and like it's so compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't bleed into any other part of the week. Like, yeah. like I go to work, I go home, I go to my kids' conference, I go here, I go to church, I go home. Like, but at the church, they make it sound so. I mean, this is your number one reason for living, and it's just in this other compartment. Like, my work compartment, and then, you know, my kids' compartment, my kids' friends' compartment, my golfing buddies' compartment, my church compartment. Like, if it's that big of a deal, why is it just confined to that compartment? Yeah. That's that's what I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> that's... Yeah, that's the main thing I've gotten as going to a church as an atheist. Why is it so compartmentalized? Why is it just this one thing and it's not... If it's so important, important, why is it not bleeding into literally everything you do? Why does it seem meaningless? Yes! It's so important. Yes! It's just... None of it's connected. So you go to church in one neighborhood, you work in another neighborhood, you live in another neighborhood, you grocery shop in another neighborhood. Yes! And so you lose... I think you lose a lot by doing that, by spreading yourself out that much. You don't get to know your neighbors. You don't get to know your neighborhood. You don't get to know interesting things about your neighborhood. And so we've tried to live and do most of our work in the east side of St. Paul. And so we work in the neighborhood, we live in the neighborhood, we shop in the neighborhood, we go to restaurants in the neighborhood. We try to support local businesses, and um, we also try to get to know the different cultures in our neighborhood. So the East Side St. Paul is the most diverse neighborhood in the Midwest, um, but it's still majority white, so 41% white. Um, but it's uh, like 39% Hmong, 31% African American, 
29% Latino. I'm not sure exactly what the percentage is. You can go to the Eastside website and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very diverse neighborhood, and getting to know my neighborhood has been hard. I've been here for five years now. No, six years now. And like, finding a place to work in the neighborhood, finding a place to do good in the neighborhood has been hard. But um, we did find a, a way where we get to feed the hungry for a living. Um, it's a modest living. Like, we don't, you know, we don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very rewarding and very hard work. But also, it's, it's funny because we work for a Christian organization, but as atheists. So, but I feel like we do some... We do a lot more of things that we think Jesus would do. Right, like, yeah. Especially when we were, like, when I was a believer. Like, the job description I have now, where we literally f- feed as many people as we can for lunch every day, Monday through Friday at least. Um, it's what I would have aspired to do before, um, and I love doing now, but it's, there's no money to be made on poor people, really, so there's no, no one's trying to fix poverty, because poverty, the way poverty works now is basically poor people pay for everything, rich people don't have to pay in property taxes, or, you know, like, stadiums get built for free, and, like, the rich get richer, and the poor, like, our property taxes keep going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And um, the services that we, basic services like garbage, water, electricity, all go up, but wages are not going up. So, even though we're, we're making it, we're still living paycheck to paycheck, um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we didn't have help sometimes from other people, we wouldn't, you know? So, like, sometimes our folks help us out, or sometimes, you know... We just figure out a way to get it, you know, because our job has different kinds of perks. So, like, we get a lot of great things from donations. You know? But I mean, and I have the the artistic side hustle. Yeah. I mean, which I wouldn't trade for anything because that's. I mean, serving people is is definitely something I'm really passionate about. Creating things is another. I thing wonder I'm if really people if people about. would think it's weird. Like, why would atheists feed the poor? And why would right. atheists hang yeah. out with the poor? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and Angel said it before, but it's because we're, we're humans, we're people. And we want to alleviate suffering, and we don't want other people to go hungry. Right. And that's, I mean, I that's always... a very Christian thing to say. Exactly, yeah. But it doesn't, I mean, we're, I mean, so I designate myself as a Christian atheist because I grew up in Christianity, I went to seminary, like, I studied Christianity for, I still study Christianity, so I've been studying Christianity for 18 years basically um, and a lot of it's great um, I just don't believe in the magic part I don't right. believe in the myths I, and I don't like I don't believe in the resurrection I don't believe in heaven and hell um, I don't believe in you know the trinity you know but there's still a lot of good things in the bible when you take those things away that are still there and I feel like I was just talking to a friend this week and I feel like saying any one of those statements that I just said would destroy his faith to the point where he'd just be like, throw it all away. Right. I don't need it. And I'm, and I'm like, well, there's still a lot of value there. And there's a lot of, of theology and a lot of um, interesting things people have done because of Christianity. So, like, we're not the sort of atheists that say religion's bad or religion kills, but it does sometimes. It can. And, you know, people just say, they'll pick the worst possible examples and throw that in your face but then they forget about examples like the organization we work for isn't perfect, but we get to feed the hungry, right? You know, and make a make a, at least a living. I mean, not. I mean, if the fifteen dollar minimum wage goes through, um, we'll both get raises. Put it that way. 
<laughs> you know, so like yeah. that's what people are pushing for for the the minimum wage being fifteen dollars. So we make less than that, but we it's made up for in little ways. Our benefits are great, but the benefits they, are nice. They've established themselves in this neighborhood, and they're the only organization that feeds people for the hungry. And me having a chef background, um, obviously gravitate towards food, and like feeding people is just something I love to do. Yeah. And it's I don't know, like the. I don't think if I said I'm a believer in Jesus and I do this for Jesus, I don't think that would that would make me feel any better. Right. You know, um, might even make me feel worse because I can't like magically make more food. Right. <laughs> you know? Like I can't do the feeding of the five thousand because I don't have any spirit powers. Right. Yeah, because from from the outside, like from a, from an outside perspective, your guys' lives, I feel like look very Christ-like. I'm not going to say Christian, but um, and I, I didn't know you guys obviously beforehand, but it seems like I would guess that your current trajectory is a lot more parallel to that of the teachings of Christ than maybe it was beforehand. Just you yeah. know, speculating. Yeah, it's it just it's very to me it's like the sweetest irony in the <laughs> in the world is that you've pushed away from Christianity and in so doing become. From a Christian perspective, more Christ-like, I guess, or you could even say more Buddha-like, or like yeah. more, you know, he actually being the hands and feet of Jesus, exactly, yeah, taking care of people and loving people yes. and accepting people as they are, you know, because we work with a lot of prostitutes and we, you know, mm-hmm. we work with a lot of homeless folks. I just had I just had a, a lesbian couple come in today, and you can tell they're very hesitant mm. to, come, to come into Christian organization because like, it's a Christian organization. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can tell they're like. Well, I really need food, but I'll probably get a nasty look right. or like a, you know, a comment or something to be like, "This is me and my girlfriend," and be like, Aww. you know. Yeah. And I mean, the same thing with I've had um, I've had uh, trans clients come in as well and be very surprised when I'm like, "Oh, great." Like, you know, like the couple I, that came in today, they're like, oh, yeah, we just got an apartment complex, and, like, I live in apartment one, and she lives in apartment three, and it's really great, and, you know, we get to spend more time together, I'm like, that's awesome! Like, great! You're doing such a good job as a couple, and, you know, they're like... Huh? <laughs> organization. Like, I'm not... I'm not trying to pin a gold medal on myself or pat myself on the back, but, um, um, so one more question I had for you guys about Tweet These Go Church was, why, why do you think, like you're talking about, uh, congregation members and pastors and staff that do it, that go to church regularly, um, you know, like to... Maybe because it, get, it makes them feel good, or because they're they're trying to fulfill and compartmentalize something in their life. Like, do you think they do that for themselves, or for the eyes of other people, or do they really think that God is like looking down on them, making sure that they tick all the all the all the check boxes under their name? Like, who who are they doing that for? Do you think if if they're not really feeling it that week? Like you're talking about how Jay will push through, you know, or won't push through something. He'll he'll be real about it. 
but then maybe another pastor might choose to put on a face or, or put on a performance. Who are they performing for, I guess, is, is what my question is. I would think that's a little bit of this is what's expected of me. By so, who? By the congregation. By other um, people around them? By other people around them. Yeah, rarely do I think it has to do with what they would call their vocation or calling. Mm. I'd say mostly that doesn't enter into it. And I think, sadly, that's because um, it's your job. So as soon as your faith life gets caught up with your economic well-being, I think there's a there's a turning there where a lot of people who go to seminary come... So Bethel did a study that they shared with us when I was there in 2009, 2008 and nine, where they would survey students when they came into seminary and their faith was basically at an all-time high because they, you know, couldn't know their Bible well enough, you know, really wanted to get deeper into the scriptures, really wanted to know their stuff. But a lot of them were employed by churches who said, well, if you want to be a pastor, you know, you'll need a seminary degree, a Master of Divinity or a... You know, MATS, Master of Theological Studies, or you know something like that, um, or Master of Arts, and you know, um, so they come into seminary and then they start learning about their faith and they start learning about the dubious uh, way the Bible came about and how the Bible, was, <laughs> you know, like how basically the books were chosen, the creeds were chosen. We'll see by government and some church leaders, but they were made to fit to be broad. And then all the discussions and all the variations of Christianity, especially in the early church how different people viewed Jesus that were still considered Christians. So Christianity wasn't one thing. There were many Christianities as it first started. And so when you start learning about church history, you start learning about that stuff, you both, most people's faith tanks because they're like, I thought this book basically was a ride facsimile from heaven. And we had right. it. <laughs> yeah. and then God's go, hand reached out from a cloud. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it just was there. Um, just like the golden tablets, you know, uh, but it, they start learning about the history of faith and how there are so many Christians over the generations who have, you know, changed their faith, taken their faith to a new way. I mean, in a way, you could say what Luther did was, you know, it's his 500-year anniversary last year, you know, but like how revolutionary it was and how different it was. And his was mostly because, you know, people basically, the church is telling people they could buy their way into heaven and buy their loved ones out of hell or something like that. Right. Indulgences, and Luther was like, this is bullshit, <laughs> you know, and... But he didn't mean to start a new religion, a new church. But, I mean, he, it ended up doing that. And so pe- as people's faith tanks and they're doing all these studies and then all of a sudden they start wrapping up their degree after two years and they realize they have to go back into their congregation. You know, to, you know may, some of them were you know, sent to seminary and the church would pay for it or they did it so they could get a position somewhere. So they went into seminary with their faith at an all-time peak because they wanted to know more. And then as they knew more their beliefs started to dwindle, but then on the other side, now they have to go back into a congregation of faith who expects them to be like, you know, super pastor, mm-hmm. or like, just, you know, a person who we want to follow, a person who want who we think is uh, worthy of leading us. And so their faith basically kind of goes back to where they started, but mostly because it's tied to an economic thing. Right. And I had the luxury of not having any of that during seminary. And I remember lots of things falling away as I did studies and, you know, thinking about just myself, like self-reflecting and seeing, like, who am I and, like, what's wrong with me and what's right with me and, you know, who am I? Discovering myself and discovering what life's like and then, you know, going through real-life struggles and, you know, seeing how religion can actually hurt that sometimes, you know, when you're, you know, when your dad gets cancer and 
all your church friends say, it'll be fine, pray about it. And you're like screaming underneath your skin saying, that is the last fucking thing I want to hear. Right. You know, it's like when Summer, someone at the time, my dad had cancer and they didn't give him a good prognosis. He had a 30% chance of making it. He's fine now. Uh, but it wasn't good. And uh, one of my closest friends at the time was like, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. And I was like, no, I'm going to worry about this right. because there's only a 30% chance it's going to make it. When you say I'll pray about it, what you're saying to me is, I don't even want to talk to you about this right now because it's too difficult. It's too hard. So just put that in the back burner. Hopefully everything will work out, which, it, I mean, it did in that specific circumstance. But I also have another friend whose mom was dying of cancer, and the whole church was just said, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. God's got this. She's going to be great. And as she was dying of cancer, she actually said to this friend of mine, I'm not ready to go. Because she believed that she would be healed miraculously. And so she didn't say her goodbyes. She didn't prepare her, you know, what she wanted to say to her kids. Wow. Like, that was all taken from her because people said, God's got this. Don't worry about it. And so, or, you know, the whole, well, this is part of God's plan. Like, yes, you just want to sock someone in the face when they say that to you. Even when I was a believer. You know, someone would say that. I'm like, so, you're, so you don't want to even support me. You really are just... You're like, this is hard, and I'm going to keep it at arm's length. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, right. like, this, is, this is too hard, and it's too real, and um, if Jesus isn't the answer for this, I don't know what is, so I'm not even going to think about it. And so that's that's part of what your question comes back to, is how when you're tied to your church as your job, your income, which also, if you have a family... That's where you get money to pay for your family to live. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a terrible system. So if, if finances are the motivator for the pastor, then what's the motivator for the congregation? What's the motivator for the people who, who go to church who don't want, like we were just talking earlier about, there's many Sundays when you were a believer, when you go to church and you don't want to be there. So what's the motivator for the, for the congregation members? Are they, are they trying to, who are they, who are they trying to impress? I think we're all trying to impress each other. Is it just each other? And some, I think some people really think God's watching that closely, and God really cares if you go to okay. church, which I'm not, especially some of the churches I've been to, I think God would be like, what the hell did you go to? <laughs> like, well, and I think it's it also has a huge effect on where we're living, like the Midwest. Mm. Um, I don't think it would be such a big deal if you were a family in San Francisco or New York City that didn't go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. But so it's like that, culturally expected. Yeah, culturally expected. Um, Most people get a pass if they go to church. They're like, well, he's a church going man. Or people say family man. Uh-huh. You know? Family man. Um, and I mean, it's definitely not as... The Twin Cities are pretty liberal, but still... That Midwest sensibility of my grandparents went to church, my parents went to church, I'm gonna go to church. And a lot of people still have that mentality, it's better than nothing, you know? Right. It's, it's better than right. not going. Which, yeah. maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm not saying you, people shouldn't go to church. No. We go to church all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's. it's... Sorry. But. <laughs> We go to church all the time. It's true. <laughs> uh, 
Because you're trying to impress everybody. Yeah, right? we do. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, most of the time when we when we go to these churches, I try to be as incognito as possible. Right. So, like, I just sit in the back and just try to observe. And it's, I'm not trying to take mean-spirited notes. It's like no, just, not at and all. Not, and then we're not like, pastor looks straight white and repugnant. All you know? these people are douchebags. <laughs> like... No, not at all. No. Not at all. No, in certain churches that we've been to, even some of the big ones, um, there's still an earnestness there that people that should be commended. Mm. Like even some of these mega churches that, to me, have no value because there's no human connection. And maybe there, there is some of those. I'm sure some of these people who go to these churches would be like, "I have a great connection with this person, and this is, you know, the reason that I'm a believer, the reason that I'm alive. You know, like this person took me into their home because I was an addict or something. Like that can happen at these churches. We're not right. saying it doesn't, but the way it looks to us is. Like a disconnected sort of well, we all watched a video pastor. We all watched a video that talked at us together, and then we left. Mm-hmm. And I like I wouldn't go back to that. I'm just like I'm not. I can do that at home on YouTube, right? Like, or, you know, or I can, you know, being Catholic, like Mass is always on TV. You know, because um, my mom she's very devout Catholic. Um, sometimes when she like the weather's too bad or there's so much snow or something, sure, she'll just watch church on TV because. It's pretty much the same mm-hmm. as going to a Catholic service. Meaning you don't get to sit in the pew that, you know, is hard and creaky and, you know, there's, you know, wet floor on you because you're just coming from the snowstorm. You get to see the stained glass windows, but, like, the incense gets in your eyes. So you're, like, squinting <laughs> through the service trying to see something. And, like, the altar boy is just a boy, so, like, he drops the book and, like, everyone's, like, trying not to laugh, but they want to laugh. Or, like... You know, there's a big when you proceed out of the Catholic Church, they carry a cross first. So it's usually it's it looks like a spear with a cross at the top, and then someone carries the gospel behind him. And like so many times, a new altar boy, a newbie, those noobs will come in <laughs> and they have the they're holding the cross, but the door on the way out isn't taller, so they hit the cross <laughs> in the door. So like you see Jesus like <laughs> on it, and you can just hear it. You hear everyone's like knock Jesus, but no one laughs. So you can always tell the Catholics who want to get out because right after communion, what they'll do, instead of walking back to their pew and praying and waiting for the priest to leave, they'll just walk to the back, get the holy water, do the sign of the cross, and then just be like, absconding. Like, I'm, gonna- I'm getting the car ready for my family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm a family. Like, he doesn't yeah. have family. That guy's single. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so many Catholic jokes. I ate my body and blood and I'm gone. <laughs> Get my sacrament. I got Boom. things to do. Skidoodle. I got things to do. If you, yeah, but if you want to be an efficient Christian, Catholic services are 45 minutes in and out. So nice. Nice. Same. When I, I used to work at, I worked at a nursing home, and one of my, I always worked Sunday morning shifts, and I would take these ladies to Catholic church. And I didn't know it was like, a thing because when we started dating and then eventually got married, we would go to Catholic services on Easter, and I was raised Missouri Synod Lutheran, so um, the Catholic Church was kind of foreign to me. But when I worked at this nursing home, like <laughs> I would wheel these ladies in, we would get there like ten minutes before the service. There's maybe like three people in the chapel, and then like three minutes before the service started, people just like. <laughs> Flood it, flooded in. The service happened. And then as soon as he's like, 
go in peace or whatever, people are like they were yeah, like someone pulled a fire alarm. It was just unbelievable to me. And I was like, maybe it's just the church that I'm taking these ladies to. And then the very same thing happened when we went to your um your parents' church in Austin. Like, as soon as it's done, people are Pew! just out of there. I was the weird kid who, like, I love to linger at church and, like, just hang out. Like, I don't know. The Catholic Church just seemed like such a safe place. And it was for me. Like, for I know for lots of folks it wasn't. But for me, it was a super safe place. And it was just, like, a place to hang out with my friends because we were small town. So, like, there were more Lutherans in my town than Catholics, which is funny. Like, that was the divide. And then there was the Baptists. You were weird over oh. that church. But um, I have friends who went to that church who are still friends today. <laughs> but uh, the Catholic kids, like, we... We all got out of school early on Wednesdays because we had to go to Catholic. Oh, right, right. So, like, we'd all hang out on Wednesdays and, like, we'd walk from school to church because it was right down the block. And, like, it was a fun place for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, hmm. and we had, like, catechism not in the church but across the street in a different building the church owned. And it, I don't know, it was just, it was like a welcoming, comforting place that was safe. And, mm-hmm. like, we'd walk past the church and we'd just sit on the front steps and no one would say anything. No one would be like, you can't sit here, or you shouldn't be around. Like, we could just hang out. Like, you could even... My town was so small that this, the doors were unlocked. So you could oh, just wow. go into the church, and you could go light a candle and pray by yourself. Mm. Go into confession. Um, go sit in the pews. And, like, no one really ever did anything bad. Like, no one ever broke any windows, or, you know... Ever, maybe maybe once in a while, but not, not while I was there. Um, but it was just a different, different kind of place. So the church always seemed safe to me. Okay. Um... I haven't thought about that in a long time. Hmm. Were you two, um, this is kind of a little bit backtracking, but were you two still believers when you when you got married? No. no. So you both deconverted beforehand? Can you yeah. tell me, maybe take turns, tell me a little bit about your deconversion process? Sure. I think that's as good a spot as any to stop it for this week. I'll be back with uh, part two, which obviously, as I kind of set up there at the end, is going to be about... Joshua and Angela's deconversions, which uh, may be equally validly called their conversions, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths, but it really seems like in their deconversion, as ironic as it sounds, they came closer to what they were chasing after and looking for in name the whole time that they were still identifying as believers, I guess, is the, is the simplest term. Anywho, stick with me. We'll be back with part two very soon. I love you.